couple of things. As Greg said, I did get out of Nebraska. I spent uh, 24 hours in a truck stop meeting 100 of my closest new friends, you know, sleeping, trying to sleep in a booth for a little bit, stand up, get some coffee, and then sleeping in the car, then turn it on a little bit to stay warm and so forth and that. And then uh, ended up backtracking and getting a little extra time with some grandkids. But on Monday, I made a four-hour trip what's normally a four-hour trip on Monday to get home in seven hours. So we'll talk about that. But, you know, you know that God's still got a hand in all of this stuff. But it, it is good to be back. But what I want to tell you is, you know, it's kind of interesting. My wife and I have been married now. We're in our 46th year. So we can say things to each other that you newlyweds can't say to each other. You know, if you've been married less than 10 years or whatever, you can't say the things that we say. So, for example, here's one of the things... Uh, that you wouldn't say to each other, but my wife could say to me, you know, we missed you last week, but I'm glad you weren't there. Can I get a witness? Okay. See, that's what I said. Newlyweds, don't use that. Caleb, that's not for you and Kristen. Just stay away from that one. But what she meant was, and well-intended, you know, the word tells us that what Satan means for harm, God will turn to good. And that gave us the opportunity, at least me at six o'clock Sunday morning, talking to Tyler. And I said, so Tyler, what are you preaching on today? And of course, there's that long pause because he thinks I'm in town. And he says, I'm sorry, sir. And I said, uh, Tyler, what are you preaching on today? And then you hear that long pause. And I said, Tyler, I'm three hours away in a snow and the roads aren't open yet. This one's on you. And I said, I'm, I'm believing God's got something for you. And it was the last Sunday for them, Casey and Tyler and, and the girls to be with us. And I want to tell you that, you know, as God takes something that Satan, as we say, you know, and just turns it, and if you haven't heard that message, if you were here, you heard it, but if you haven't heard that message from Tyler, could I encourage you on YouTube, you know, Summit Church Colorado, or go to our website at summitchurch.online. It's such a great message, but it's such a great message for several reasons. One, he is biblically spot on. I mean, absolutely nailed it. But here's the other thing I want you to know that you will see in Tyler, and you would see when Casey was up and being blessed with them and the girls is, you tell a lot about the family culture by how they honor as people come in and as people leave. Tells you an awful lot, doesn't it? And when you're seeing, you get to hear Tyler's story about what God is doing in their family. And for us as a church to release them with honor, to bless them, and to send them to a place that God has been preparing him for. He's actually the online campus pastor now for a very large church in Parker. And you go, that is just perfect for him. And those moments that you see it. So I really want to encourage you that if you didn't see that message and you weren't here, or if you did see it and you want to see it again, you learn a lot about them. We're in starting a new series, three weeks. It's called Encounter the Cross. As we prayed through with the staff and we spoke with the elders and said, this is where we believe God is leading us in this. And that is, this is the season that everything else in our lives should be based on. Oh, I, I know Christmas and the tree and Fourth of July and that, but none of those, none of those can possibly measure up to this season and for us to be able to encounter the cross and the significance of that. So over the next three weeks, that's exactly what we're going to do. But at the same time, uh, you know, one of the things here at Summit that's so important to us 
is that we want to be equipping you for, you know, I say in all the days that end in Y, except for the others, Satan can have those, but if it ends in a Y, we want that one. But in the process of that, what's happening here is we want to equip you. And I've, I've shared this before, and you need to know my heart as your pastor on this beyond a shadow of a doubt. We can only do so much. I know you don't want to come to a church that says, you know, well, we have our limitations. But you know what? Our biggest limiting factor is you. And I want to say this in love because we want to help you take responsibility for your faith and walk in the fullness of who God has created you to be. And so that means that we want to provide you resources, opportunities, equipping, and things of that for you to own your faith. I shared in the first service, I said, you know, listen, if somebody says they'd really like to learn something, but they just don't want to go to class, they really don't want to learn it that bad, do they? If people say, I really would like to have a relationship with Jesus Christ, I just don't want to have to work on it myself. That's kind of like a guy saying, I'd love to have a great marriage. I don't want to put a lot of effort into it, though, you know what I mean? That's probably not going to work for anybody. And so in this process, as the church, we want to equip you. We want to give you resources. One of the things that you're going to find through this season with specific design, in fact, you're going to see it matches up with the messages that God has given us this week is, as we go through it. But it's a book called Encounters at the Cross. I've talked about this book before, and I want to... Um, I was going to read you an entire chapter, it's that good, but I decided not to, because uh, I figured a lot of you would like to be out of church by, say, 1, 2 o'clock, okay? I got a witness on that one, didn't I? But this book comes, and there's just a brief introduction to each chapter. Each chapter is a chapter in the words of someone that witnessed the crucifixion. The chapter that I was reading, I read it about four times this week, is Simon, the Cyrenian that carried the cross for Jesus. And the background on this is he's there, and you'll, you'll hear this with his two sons. He's there for Passover, and he feels the hand of the centurion pulling him out onto the Via Dolorosa, right? And he carries the cross. And at the end of this chapter is the life lesson. And I just want to read you just a brief page, basically, a little more, so that you get a taste for this, because I really do want to excite you, because they're available for you. It says, all we know for certain about Simon is that he was from Cyrene and the father of Alexander and Rufus. Beyond that, we can only speculate. Still, some thoughtful speculation is certainly in order. Although the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they mention Simon by name, only Mark identifies him as the father of Alexander and Rufus. As anyone who reads Mark's Gospels knows, He's not given to superfluous detail. Therefore, we should ask ourselves, why is it that he mentions this fact? While neither Matthew or Luke do. Undoubtedly, it is because that Rufus and Alexander are known to be Christians in Rome, for whom Mark's gospel was originally written. Additional evidence supporting this conclusion is found in Paul's epistle to the believers in Rome. And he writes, Greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. 
It is reasonable, I believe, to suggest that Simon's encounter with Jesus, oh, that fateful Friday, was life-changing. He did not just happen to be in the wrong place that Passover morning, or the right place, as it turned out. Rather, it was the grace of God that placed him there, because Simon was entering Jerusalem at that precise moment, thus was chosen by a Roman soldier to carry our Lord's cross. His life and the lives of his family were forever altered. Exactly when and where his conversion took place, no one knows for sure. That it did, it seems evident. As a result of his conversion, his wife and his sons apparently became Christians as well. I want to encourage you, the books are out there. Um, there's a price on those. You heard me say this a couple of weeks ago. If that price are $15, if that works for you, then you can pay $15 and get a book. If a lesser price works for you, like, you know, $5.67, that works for us too. And if today it's just inconvenient, don't explain it. Please understand, never take a blessing from God and allow Satan to turn that to become shame or a curse. Any of you are welcome to take a book out there and just say thank you. See how easy this is? But we want you to have something that takes you beyond three Sunday services and a Good Friday experience. You with me? And the neat thing about it is, this was about 25 years ago this originally came out. Our sons were in a Christian school. I would go in periodically and work with the middle schoolers particularly. And in doing so, I would use this book as a devotion for them. And over half of the students, mostly all the guys, they wanted a copy of the book for themselves. So if you're sitting here saying, well, that's probably good for me, but would it be good for my family? Yes, Mary and Mary Magdalene, their stories are in here too. So that's important for us there. So as we look at this and we go, part of this that I talk about here, and this was with Tyler, and this was with Casey, and with everyone here, part of this equipping that we're talking about is that we want you to know at Summit Church, we are absolutely serious about this process of reach, raise, and release. And Tyler and Casey were just a part of that. But at the same time, we feel that our greatest responsibility that we have is to create a safe place for you to be in the relationship with Jesus Christ. And then, empowered by Almighty God through the power of the Holy Spirit, to do what He created you to do, because you're not here by accident. You're not even here on Sunday, today, by accident. You made a decision, and we're happy that you did. We've got a book for you in the car, too, that's a different one, okay? Just a little personal stuff going on here that we do at the family time frame. But you know, we want you to understand, and Growth Trek 1 is a part of a four-week series that we do that helps guide you through your gifting, what God's called you to be, who we are as a church, what God can do with you in this process. It happens after this service is Growth Trek 1. We won't do it next week, but we will pick it up after that on the 16th. But part of that is here at Summit Church, you know, we, we feel that when we say you need to do, like God says, somewhat clearly to us, go and make disciples. And we've wrestled with this in a good way because we really feel that if we're saying go and make disciples, then don't we have a responsibility to say, here's what a disciple looks like? You know, if I tell you to go out and make a car and here's all the parts, but you've never seen one, that makes it a little more difficult, doesn't it? 
So what we have to do is bring a, a clear picture. Here at Summit Church, our definition, our working definition for a disciple is simply this. A disciple is a fully devoted, spiritually maturing, reproducing follower of Christ. And that's where we feel God has us planted as a church, to impact this area here, but to help create the place for you to say, that will work for me, that fully devoted, that heart issue, spiritually maturing, and you'll notice that's an ongoing verb. That means that we're all on a journey and that we're not just arriving at a point and we can check that one off, guys. We're the check them off our list, guys. You know what I'm saying? What God is saying, this is a continuous journey working through this as we process and then reproducing, and that is our definition of a disciple. That's what we want to work on. Today's message is discover the hope of the cross. We're going to go through this Sunday, the next two Sundays, and then on Good Friday. But you know, when we talk about discovering the hope of the cross, it's going to lead us that we've got to understand next week we want to embrace the power of the cross. And the following week, and let me just let you in on something I didn't really realize. They say that statistics tell us that the week after Easter is one of the lowest attended weeks of the entire year. I don't know what it is. We just wear ourselves out at Easter with the egg hunts and the bunny rabbit. I don't know what it is. But we want to change that because that's really the third part of what we want to, what we believe God's leading us to in embracing the cross. Because that third Sunday, we're going to experience the grace of the cross. So we want to go through and understand what is the hope of the cross. If we don't get that right, we miss it all. On Easter, we're going to talk about the power of the cross, and then we want to talk about what is the grace of the cross that Jesus went to that cross for, for us. And so the, the big idea for today is, in this idea of the, that is simply this. If we're to experience the true hope of the cross, well, we've got to know the reason for that hope, don't we? You know, rightfully so, as your pastor, if I would tell you all, listen, what we want to do we're going to gather around the cross, and we're going to have our hope in the cross. You know what your first question you would rightfully ask? Why? I mean, it's one thing to say, have hope in the cross. But isn't the question that goes with that, why would we have hope in the cross? Because, you know, one of the interesting things for me that I love is the fact that didn't Jesus answer the why question for so many things? I mean, that really is in terms of why we place our faith, the things that we look at there and so forth. So this is, if we're to experience the true hope of the cross, then we've got to know the reason for the cross. We're going to start off a little bit different, you know, the Palm Sunday, and I'll alert you that our Summit kids will come in at the end, and they've had an incredible, by that time, they will have had an amazing message on the celebration of Palm Sunday. They'll all have palm branches, and they'll come, and we'll make room for them, and, and Marie will bring them in. But you know, when we look at this issue of Palm Sunday, sometimes we don't look at it properly, I think. And it's interesting that I kind of go, Christy, who's one of our worship, and just an amazing, she's our redhead up here. If you don't know Christy, you need to know her and the family, and Mike's on a camera, and, and her too. Uh, she's got one teenager, and then the daughter that thinks she's even older than that teenager, <laughs> There's people that know her. There you go. You got to love that, right? But she was sharing, you know, just some of the conversations, you know, that, that we need to have about, you know, how is it that we celebrate Palm Sunday, but then we turn around over here and they crucify Jesus? That's a five-day period. How does that happen? 
Well, I think we need to understand some of the part of this. I'm going to take you to some Scripture that you may not look at during Palm Sunday. You ready? We're going to start in Job, in Job 17, 15. And here's what Job cries out. He says, where then is my hope? Throughout this session this morning and this time that we have, we're going to focus on this word hope, and we're going to look at how that word hope is used. Right here we see my hope, and he says, who can see any hope for me? And he's really saying, isn't it that it just feels hopeless? Where then is my hope? It feels hopeless. Who can, is there anybody, is what he's asking, that can see any hope for me? You know, you go back a little bit earlier in Job, and he says this, and it's the first issue that we've really got to face. He says, if only my request, pause there, my request, if only my request would be granted... God would provide what I hope for. Wow. Let me just kind of put you that out, put that out to you in Chuck's terms. You know, God, if you'd just give me whatever I want, I'd be happy and my hope would be fulfilled. How's that? Isn't that what Job is saying? Isn't he looking here and saying, you know, if only you would give me my request. Billy and I saw the movie on Friday, His Only Son. If you haven't seen the movie, it's certainly worth your time to see it. Uh, I'll alert you, it's slow, it really is, and it's one of those where it, it, like, it just sinks in. But every time I was back reading my notes and I had written this and we saw the movie, I couldn't help but think of Sarah. And I couldn't help but think of the longing that she had to have a baby and to give her husband, Abraham, a child. And then I thought here, how many times Sarah must have thought, if God would only give me my request, my, my request, then my hope would be fulfilled and I would have exactly the desire of my heart. But what's the issue here? Isn't it what we hear is pe people saying, God, if you'll just give me what I want? You know, and we get into this mindset, I'm a Christian, let me just pray, and whatever your heart desire is, you know, there's a part of that where your heart needs to line up with God's desire, isn't it? And sometimes, does that feel confusing to anybody besides me? That the desire of my heart, the biggest question is not as what is that desire, that I've found myself in life looking back going, God, is, my, is the desire of my heart, does that match up with the desire of your heart? And so what happens in this, when we first start looking at Palm Sunday, look, let's face it. You look at Palm Sunday from the outside, what do you see? You see this Passover celebration in Jerusalem. You know, when you read the history of this, what's taking place there is simply this. It's a carnival. The street vendors are out. They're dancing in the street. There's musicians out there. All of this stuff is happening, and we'll read the Scripture on that. And so when we look at that and we go, how did it turn so fast? What was so wrong? Well, here's what I want to suggest to you the very first thing that was happening was a misplaced hope. You see, we'll read in the Scriptures what their hope really was, a misplaced hope. And I will tell you this, as your hope is anything in this world, Satan can take it away from you in a heartbeat. You can be stripped of it. If you think your hope is in a better job, a better position, oh, a better this, a better that, and all of these things, anything of this world. And by the way, since we would probably all agree that nobody here is perfect, 
Sometimes our misplaced hope has been in other people, hasn't it? That we've had a relationship, and that hope that we've had to come out of that relationship, or what that would mean for us, that we've had misplaced hope. What was the misplaced hope of the people as they're celebrating? Let's go back and look at the Scriptures on this. In Mark, in chapter 11, in verses 7 through 10, let's start off with that. They brought a colt. Now, let's pause for a second. I love this right here. They brought a colt. we got to back up. Just leave that up for a second. <laughs> the backstory on this is Jesus is coming into Jerusalem. He tells a couple of His disciples, He says, here's the deal. I want you to go into town, and you'll go to this corner here. There'll be a colt tied up there. And that colt, you just go ahead and get it and bring it to me. And if anybody asks you, all you say is, the master needs it. How cool is that? I want you to picture that for a moment. You've got this colt that's never been ridden. Well, let me just rephrase it. Caleb, God spoke to me. You're going to go to an intersection. There'll be a car there. You just get that and bring it back to us. And if anybody questions you, just tell them the master needs it. Yeah. And you'll probably get the car if you're armed. <laughs> but you understand? I mean, can you get the analogy of this thing? That, but that's exactly what happens. You see, as God speaks to them, they go, and actually the master of the colt, the owners kind of look, they said, the master needs it. And he goes, okay. So they bring the colt to Jesus. They threw their clothes on it so he could sit upon it. It had never been ridden before. Jesus sat on it. Many people then, as He rode into town, they spread their clothes on the road. Others, the leafy palm branches of the honor for Him that were cut from the fields. Let's continue. And then, with that, those that went ahead and those that followed shouted. Now listen, Hosanna, blessed is He who comes in the name of the Lord. But now listen, blessed is the coming kingdom of of our father David. They'd read about it all through the Old Testament. The kingdom through David was coming. Hosanna in the highest heaven. What are the Scriptures saying here that the people were crying out? Let me just rephrase it. Finally, someone's coming to overthrow the Romans. They're going to establish an earthly kingdom, right? Isn't that what they were saying here? They had misplaced their hope, but it was even more than that. They had developed expectations, and coming out of this, what you see is the letdown after this is unmet expectations. What was their expectation? An earthly kingdom that would overthrow the Romans that were occupying their land. Hey, by the way, think about this from the, I would say, the hierarchy of the church. You know, they got along with the Romans real well because they gave the Romans everything they wanted, didn't they? They didn't want their relationship upset. Why do you think they were upset? They had an expectation as well, and it wasn't a hope. Well, the hope was in the fact they wanted the status quo to remain the same where they were in charge and everybody else suffered, they were okay with that. But what you get with the people is they had this unmet expectation that Jesus Christ, the man who had performed all the miracles, the guy they, re, re, they would say is the Son of God, 
That was their expectation, that the Son of God would come, and He would overthrow the Romans. He would take over and set up an earthly kingdom. That's what they were expecting. That was their unmet expectations. You know, it's interesting that when we look at so many things, we develop those, don't we? Very often we have expectations of what we want from church. Every one of you came in today, and so did I, with an expectation for this morning. Whether you thought about it on the right end or whatever, but, you know, was it to strengthen your relationship with the Lord? Was it, you know, hopefully there'd be somebody that could at least teach a little bit from up here. You know what I'm saying? But, you know, we all had expectations. You didn't come here by accident. goes back to what Greg said. We respond to invitations. Several of you are sitting here today because of an invitation of the Holy Spirit. Several of you are sitting here today because some time ago you responded to an invitation of the Holy Spirit, and that's led you into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what keeps bringing you back, isn't it? But there's an expectation there. On my uh, seven-hour drive from Nebraska, normally four hours, I... Uh, I met a young man. I told you there was an hour and a half period. I went eight hours. Coming out of that, boy, traffic is just zooming. Everybody's going to make up that hour and a half in 15 minutes. Go figure. But as I just get started in this traffic, and I mean, it was like the start of the Indy 500. When we passed the truck that was off the road and the barriers were down and everything, I mean, seriously, it was like there was somebody in a tower waving a flag saying, hit it, go. And I'd gone about a mile, and there's a young guy walking along with a backpack on. I don't know about you, but have you ever had that time when you're running late and then God puts something in your way right there, and you're thinking it's in the way, it's not part of the way? You're going, seriously, God, somebody will pick him up. And then I go, maybe 50 meters. And you have those moments where you say somebody, and God's saying you're the somebody. Thanks a lot, God. I'm kind of anxious to get home to Billy. So I stopped the car, the young guy comes up, my young to me, you know, I got kids in socks older than this guy, okay, he's 40 years old, all right? And he's not even running toward the car. I'm stopped to give the kid a ride. And he's just walking along, looking at me, he said, dude, do you not have a clue what's happening here? Finally, he gets in the car and he said, well, I'm, I'm going to Denver and, and I'm kind of, I'm going, do you understand that's where this road goes? I'm traveling in a direction you say you want to go. Seriously, he's going. He asked me three times. He said, but I'm going to Denver. And I'm going, okay. <laughs> you know, I'm not turning around here and going back to, you know, whatever that is back at the last town, Wiggins, you know, where Dalton Reisner's from. In any event, so we start talking. I said, look, buddy, I'll get you there, you know, and so forth as close as I can. Just for the record, I ended up driving out of the way and dropping him off a block from his house at a place. Young guy's name's Gino. And uh, so the conversation got into, he's about 40 years old. He's going to be 40 in a few months. Then he asked me, how old are you? I said, well, I'm 75. Everybody's in shock when they see it. They really do. Because I just look so good. Can I get it? That's a great place to, thank you. 
Hey, okay, next time I say that, don't make me prompt you. Let's just get with it right away. You with me on this? So here's the, you tell somebody you're 75. First question, so are you retired? I said, pretty much. Other than being the teaching pastor at a church, leading a Christian ministry, heading a little publishing company, ministering to some people in three different churches right now, trying to be a husband, a father, a grandfather. I mean, other than that, I'm pretty much retired. I just sit back and, you know, that old song, you know, drink RC colas and eat moon pies. I mean, how cool can this get? So he says, so you're a pastor at a church? And I said, yeah. And so we're talking, and he says, uh, I grew up in the church. I just got away from it. And I got a text yesterday, and it reminded me of this, and I'd been thinking about this through the week anyway, but it was along the line that how many people grew up in the church, but they never grew up in Christ? How many of the people sang the hymns but didn't know Him? And I'm riding with the guy in my car. It was kind of a fun ride because I don't know how I was able to overcome my shyness, but I then began talking to him about his faith. And he says, I'm trying to be a good person, but my life is terrible right now. And some of you have never experienced it because I'm just kind of so gentle when I speak to people. But in overcoming my shyness, I ask him, I said, so let me get this right. You think that being a good person entitles God, requires God just to do whatever you want Him to do and give you a good life? And the young man said, nah, yes. I didn't look at him and say, because I've shared with you in my Ranger and Special Forces training, a lot of the training was on being delicate and sensitive right from the beginning, and they worked on this. So I used that delicate and sensitive, and I didn't say to him, you can't be that stupid. You know, I didn't. I loved on the guy. Now, look, let's face it. He's in a car with a maniac, that's me, who loves Jesus at 70 miles an hour, and he ain't jumping out. Trust me, I got this guy, right? I mean, this is one of those environments. But I said, so let me get this right. You have this expectation that if you're just a good person, if you're just a good person, then God is somewhat required to give you a good life. And he said, yeah. And I said, Gino, it doesn't work that way. It's not what God says. And I will tell all of you, if you ever hear me stand here and say, look, saints, here's all you got to do. Summit's a great church. If you'll just come here every Sunday and you'll take whatever I teach you and you'll just try to be a good person, God loves you and He's going to give you the desires of your heart and heaven is yours. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's not what God says. And that's not what God did for us. That's not the hope that He's given us. You see? And I told Gino that. And this young guy, I said, look, that's not it at all. That what you're thinking there. God's not a vending machine. It doesn't work like that. Put in a good life. Behave myself today. God will grant me the desires of my heart. And it's supposed to be that way. Sometimes it's a long battle, and very often what God promises us 
is not to take away the issues. God gives us the strength to get through them. That's what God gives us. There are some of you sitting here right now that maybe your hope is that God provides this or God takes care of this because there's that obstacle there. There's that issue you're facing. There's a problem that's there. I don't know what God's going to do with that. I know this. God loves you. And I know that we have a hope in Jesus Christ because he's no longer on that cross and he's no longer in that empty tomb. He's not there and we have a hope. But you know, sometimes our prayer has to be, God, give me the courage for what you have me facing right now. You know, this past week, just from our church and others, <laughs> was in a couple of hospitals, praying with people in hospitals, praying with people that are home right now in recovery and things like that. God tells us, though, and I love what our real hope is supposed to be. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Philippi, and I thought about this, and I've read the, you know, Philippians so many times, but since I've been at Summit, I've read it even more. I will just tell you, because there's so many things about Summit Church that matches up with what the Apostle Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. Let me just tell you about this church. This church was a very faithful church. They were faithful to the Word of God. They were generous. In fact, when Paul was in prison in Rome, one of the things he was thanking them for is they'd taken up an offering and had a messenger bring this to him to give him a gift because you got to kind of pay for your way there in jail, even sometimes still in some of the Italian hospitals, okay? But it was this part of it, and he was thanking them for their faithfulness. That's the whole letter there. And I thought about that from as your pastor here at Summit. If I could ever communicate as well as Paul and just say, please read that and know what mine and Billy's hearts are for all of you to say thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for being here. Thank you for the sustaining support you have for this church because you believe in what God is doing here. And that's the letter that Paul is writing to the church at Philippi, the Philippians. But let's look at one verse in Philippians 1.20. Here's what the Apostle Paul writes to them. He says, My eager expectation and hope is that I will not be ashamed about anything. But now, as always, with all courage, Christ will be highly honored in my body, whether in life or by death. Leave that up for just a second. I want to give you some points on this that align for me as I read through this. The very first thing that the Apostle Paul is saying is he writes to the church at Philippi to the Philippians, is he saying his eager expectation and his hope, there's our word again, right? What I get out of that is the Apostle Paul is aligning his hope with the desires of God's heart. Isn't that where our hope needs to be? He's taking his hope and he's aligning it with what the desires of God's heart for us. So there is this alignment that's taken place there. The second thing that he tells us is he's not going to be ashamed of that either. You know, I, uh, we have some in this world that would tell you that perhaps Christianity, you know, is a weakness, that you're relying on something. And I love this when the Apostle Paul was the one that says, for when I am weak, then I am strong. And it's really about that strength is right there. 
And he's not ashamed that his strength that he relies on is God's strength. Then he goes on to say he's going to be courageous. He says, give me the courage. That's his hope, right? And then all of this, Christ will be honored. So what is he saying here? The real hope that aligns with the heart of God is that he will have the courage to be the man that God created him to be and that in anything that he does, God will be honored. That's the hope. That's what God gives us there. I want to do something here. These, these won't be on, your, on the board. I want you to just, I want you to take a deep breath with me. I want to go to Psalm 119. I'm just going to give you several verses. But in Psalm 119, I've given you one assignment. There's no reason not to get the book. None whatsoever. It's a powerful book. In fact, we've got one of our board members that's a retired Army colonel. And um, he got a copy of the book yesterday that I sent him, but he thanked me. And I said, read the one on the centurion. He's a retired army colonel. So is his wife. I got a note from him this morning that that was his devotion today, was reading the chapter on the centurion. And we all remember that the centurion's words when Jesus breathed his last breath was simply, surely this man is the son of God. So that's one assignment. Here's your second assignment. I want you to take a look at Psalm 119, just on your own. Some of you are going, well, didn't we get an assignment from Greg that we're supposed to use these little cards? Yeah, that's a requirement. I'm giving you an assignment. There's a difference, okay? I want you to listen to some of these verses and tell me what this says to you from the psalmist. Never take the word of truth from my mouth. This is verse 43. For I hope in your judgments. There's that word. I hope in your do you get the correlation in verse 74 here's what the psalmist says those who fear you will see me and rejoice and i put my my hope in here again your word do you get the correlation when we talk about it which every time it follows my hope your word my hope your desires my hope your purposes that's what god's saying to us and then in verse 81 he says I long for your salvation. I put my hope in your word. Then in verse 114, you are my shelter and my shield. Here again, I put my hope in your word. Then in 116, sustain me as you have promised. It's an interesting statement because he's not asking for anything God hasn't promised, and God is a God of promises. Sustain me as you have promised, and I will live. Do not let me be ashamed of my hope. Does that sound like the Apostle Paul when he wrote to the Philippians? My hope is real. I don't need to be ashamed of it. And then in verse 147, the psalmist writes, I rise before dawn. I cry out for help. I put my hope in your word. We get the continuing pattern, saints. If everything we say, God, my hope, and it's followed by your, whatever it is, your word, your promises, your salvation, your desires for me. Oh, that's the hope God's given us.
through the cross, isn't it? Everything that we desire for that aligns with the heart of God. That's why we're here today. And so as we walk through this process, you know, you look at those things that he said in the psalmist's words. We go to Lamentations, and one more scripture for you here in Lamentations 3.24. He says, I say, the writer, led by the Holy Spirit, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will put my hope in Him. That sums it up, doesn't it? That is the hope that we find in the cross. That is the Lord Jesus Christ, who died on that cross for which we celebrate, is to give us that hope. So here's kind of just a couple of things. This week, as you look through your life, one, there's things for you to do. I, as your pastor, I do. I just cry out, take responsibility for your faith because God wants to walk with you personally through the power of the Holy Spirit and what Jesus Christ did. But take responsibility. And maybe it's time as we prepare for the Resurrection Sunday and the Good Friday to ask yourself, have I been living with some things that are unmet expectations because I'm a good person and I love the Lord and I've been a Christian for the, long, for the longest time? Are there things in my life that are misplaced hope, that I place them in individuals or things like that, that I need to realign and I need to focus on the hope of the cross? That's what God has given us here. And as your pastor, I want to encourage you. We have a great week ahead of us. On Friday, it's a short window there. But in the sanctuary here, you're going to be able to walk through to touch the cat of nine tails with the glass and the bone at the end. The spikes, similar to the ones used to crucify our Lord and Savior. Oh, the crown of many thorns, the spear, the cross and communion. And you'll get to go through at your pace. And it's for all generations. I want to encourage you to invite somebody. Not because my success or lack of or whatever depends on how many seats we have here. That's not it at all. The cry of my heart and my hope is that God will use this church to bring people into the relationship and help them grow in their relationship wherever you're at on the journey. So don't miss that opportunity as we do this together. And then of course, Resurrection Sunday and the cards. Just guys, listen to me as your friend, your brother and your pastor. Women, you just put an announcement up, they sign up, not guys. We need to be invited. We know how we are. Invite somebody that needs to be here with you, not to meet us, but to meet the Jesus that died on a cross to give us all hope. Let's pray together. Father, we just come and lay it out before you. We, uh, we thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We thank you that you've given us hope because it's your hope for us. Help us to align our hope with the desires of your heart. Father, if there's areas that we have unmet, misplaced hope or unmet expectations, 
Father, help us to address that with you. Father, we thank you and we love you, Lord, and we praise you. We thank you that your love is so great that it's beyond anything we can comprehend or even begin to fathom. But Father, we just lay this before you and say, Father, give us our hope that matches your heart and give us the courage to walk that out as your sons and daughters. And all of God's family said, Amen.